Good morning, everyone. I'm so glad you're joining us today to worship the Lord together. We'll be having the Lord's Supper at the conclusion of the service today. For those who are joining us online, you may want to prepare and participate at home. Uh, And those that are online, thank you for joining us this morning. We're glad to have you in our worship service today. Now, those that are are here today, I'm glad to see you as well. And I know that the Lord has a word for us. How many of y'all believe that God has a word for us today? Tell your neighbor, God's got a word for you today. All right. And now tell tell your neighbor, God's got a word for me today. All right. He does. He has a a word for us. Do you find, if you find your Bible and open it, turn it on, find with me 1 John. Those at home, follow along with us. We'll be looking at multiple passages of Scripture. Some will appear on your screen. And look with me to 1 John chapter number 2. We're beginning with verse number 3. 1 John chapter 2, beginning with verse number 3. This is how we know that we, this is how we know that we know him. If we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him, and yet doesn't keep his commands. He is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is made complete. And this is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have had from the beginning. The old command is the word you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he's in the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light, and there's no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, doesn't know where he's going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Heavenly Father, speak to us today from your word. Holy Spirit of God, we invite you to do business in our lives today. We're looking to you, Lord. We're listening, Lord. Lord, we ask you today to convict us of sin in our life. Convince us of what is right and what is wrong. Father, convert us. Move us away from an old life to a new life that you have for us in Christ. Heavenly Father, comfort us in our grief, in our hurt, in our pain. Lord, we're looking to you. We're dependent upon you. We know that you are present right here as we gather in the Spirit, in the name of Jesus, around the Word of God. Father, we ask you to do business in our lives. We need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Today's message we're looking at is about knowing that you know Jesus. Notice in the very first verse, this is how we know that we know him. Do you know that you know him? I mean, there's a question we often ask in evangelism, and it's this question. Have you come to the point in your spiritual life that you know for certain that you have eternal life? And that you'll go to heaven when you die. Have you come to the point? Ask yourself that question. Have you come to that point in your spiritual life, your life, that you know for certain that you have eternal life and you'll go to heaven when you die? I mean, how do you know that you've come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? That you know him. That you have a right relationship with him. And maybe you're saying, but I don't know if anybody can really know that. How can we know that for sure? That's what First John, John has written, all, it's all about. It says, these things I've written in order that you may know that you have eternal life. It's an important question, isn't it? You remember the teacher of the law that comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? Well, This is the very question that John is answering for us. And look with me to verse number three. He says, how do you know that you've come to know Jesus in a saving way and your relationship with him is a right relationship and you have been born again and you have new life in you? Listen, John says, I don't want you to have just a hope-so salvation. I want you to have a no-so salvation. I want you to know for certain that you have eternal life. Notice in verse number 3, and this is how we know that we know him, the very first sign of evidence that you've come to know Jesus Christ is you keep his commands, right? Verse number 3. He says, if we keep his commands, the one who says, I've come to know him, yet doesn't keep his commands, is a liar. He's lying to himself. He's lying to others. He's lying to God. He's lying to the Holy Spirit. He is not truthful, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps, guards, obeys his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. And this is how we know that we are in him. Wow. So it's so important. First of all, you keep his commandments. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, then you will keep my commandments. So what, what, what are his commandments? Let's think about those. First of all, do you love God supremely? That is commandment. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Matthew chapter 22. Do you have your Bible? Look with me to Matthew chapter 22 and verse number 37. He said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. Jesus did not come to nullify the Old Testament. He says this is the greatest commandment in all of the Scripture, to love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He said on this law hang all of the law and the prophets. So my question to you is, my question to you is, how much do you love the Lord? Do you love him with all of your heart? 
Do you love him with half of your heart? Do you love him? Are you loyal to him? Exclusively in love with him? Are you devoted to him? It's priority of your life. Do you love him with all of your heart? This week, Valerie was in town, and our, her children, her three children, and uh, little Isaac is just a, he's just a trip. And uh, he's uh, three years old and full of life and sneaky energy and, uh, and uh, very verbal and says the most hilarious things. And, and uh, I said, Isaac, do you love Papa? And he goes, yes, I love Papa. And I said, do you love me a, a lot or a little bit? And he goes, a little bit. <laughs> I said, Isaac, Papa loves you a lot with all of my heart. And he goes, I said, how much do you love me? He said, a little bit. <laughs> he was teasing with me, but I wanted him to say with all his heart. Ladies, if you get a Valentine card from your husband and you open that Valentine card and it says, Dear sweetheart, I love you with most of my heart. How's that work? How's that working for you? Doesn't make sense, does it? Because we love him, he wants all of our heart. Love is exclusive. Love says, I want all of you. I want your loyalty and your faithfulness. And that's why the first commandment in the Decalogue is you are to have no other gods beside me, other than me. So is there something in your life that is displacing a love for God? Maybe it's power in your life. It's control in your life. I want to be successful. It's the driving thing in my life. I want to be accepted by other th people. I want to be popular with the others in school or at work. I, 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 my own comfort, my own agenda. Be careful. Do you love him with all of your heart? Secondly, do you love others genuinely? This is the second, this commandment, Jesus said, the second is like it. To love your neighbor as yourself in Matthew 22, verse 39. All of the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. John 13, 34 says, I give a new command, love one another. How? Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Say that with me. Just as I have loved you. That's how you're to love one another. How did Jesus love us? God so loved the world, he gave his own begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How much has God loved you? Let me ask you a question. Did God love you when you were sinful? Did God love you when you were immature? Did God love you when you were ungodly? Did not God love you when you were selfish, pig-headed? Stubborn? Come on, did he? Does he love you when you're rebellious? When he did he love you when you were rebellious? 
Did he love you when you were a lawbreaker? Did he love you when you were far away from him? God demonstrated his own love for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so we are to love our neighbor just as God, just as the Lord has loved us. And he loved us like that. So my question to you, can you love people that are hard-headed? Can you love people that are rebellious? Can you love people that are far away from God? Can you love people that are ungodly? Can you love, with pe- can you love people that are immature and sinful and selfish? Can you love rebels? Can you love Antifa? I'm not talking about the organization. I'm talking about the people that are confused and messed up in that business. Can you love Black Lives Matter, young adults, Trumpsters, liberals, conservatives, illegal aliens? Can you love that woman in Walmart in her pajama pants who's beating the fire out of her kids and they're screaming and laying on the floor? Can you love them? If that was one of you, I'm sorry. And so anyway, uh, (laughs) can you see them? Can you see them? Do you care? Do you care that they're going to hell? Loving others. This is the way Christians act. They love God with all their heart. And they don't judge, but they try to love other people just as God has loved them. Secondly, forgive others completely. This is what he's called us to do. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18, verse 35, so also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. Now, let's a little background here in Matthew 18. So Peter, he has this question. He says, Lord, how often must I forgive that person who has sinned against me? That's a question some of us have. And Peter suggested a number. He said, up to seven times? Now, the rabbis taught you should forgive somebody three times. So Peter knows that Jesus kind of takes this love thing and forgiveness seriously. So he doubles it and adds one for extra measure. And he says, how about up to seven, seven times? And the Lord looks at him and says, Peter, how about seven times 70? 490 times? I mean, I might as well forgive him every time. Now we're talking. And then Jesus tells a parable, and you know you're in trouble when he starts telling a parable. And he said, let me tell you a parable about a man who owed 10,000 talents to his master. 10,000 talents he was indebted. 10,000 talents was a, a phenomenal debt, a debt that, that just would be crushing. You wouldn't know how you would ever pay it. 10,000 talents. That would be over 20 years of a working man's life to approach paying everything that you would make. And he said... Why don't you take him into slavery, sell his wife, his children, all of his assets, put them into slavery until everything is paid off. 
And he begs him. He comes to him, please forgive me. I'll repay you. Just please give me time. Give me mercy. Give me grace. And, and he forgave him all of the debt. Wow. And then this man went to a fellow servant slave who owed him a hundred denarii. That's about three months of wages. And he grabs him and he says, pay up everything that you owe. And he uses the same words. He says, have mercy, give me time. He says, I'll repay you, please. He begs him and he refuses to give him grace. And in that parable, then that one that refuses to forgive and refuses to show grace The Lord says in the parable, you wicked servant, wicked, I forgave you all because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? So turn him over to the jailers who will torment him until he pays every last cent. The parable is teaching this. This is when Jesus then comes to make this statement, so my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister. Where? From his heart. Because it's incongruent. It's impossible to open your hand to give, then you open your hand to receive. When you open your heart to receive God's forgiveness, then you open your heart to give God's forgiveness. But there's something that doesn't add up. With one hand, it's incongruent. I need your grace, but you're holding on to that grudge and hate. That doesn't work. You open your hands and say, God, I need your forgiveness. And then you look at fellow sinners And you give grace because you've received grace. And if you are so bound up and holding, then that tells me there's something wrong and you've not received God's grace in your life. Now, also, we need to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus. 1 John chapter 3, verse 23 says, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. We're to believe, put your trust in, your faith in Jesus Christ alone. Let me tell you something, friends. Listen, salvation is found in none, no one else but Jesus Christ. There's no other name given among men whereby you must be saved. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So here John says, this is his command, believe, trust in Jesus Christ. And love one another. That's his command. And then we are also to proclaim the gospel, of course. Jesus said, 
to his disciples after his resurrection, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You go, therefore, and make disciples of all the people groups, all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe, to obey my commandments. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So that's what believers do. That's what followers do. They keep his commands. Secondly, this is how we know that we've come to know him if you live like he lived. Now notice what it says. Listen to what it says in our passage of Scripture for today. It says, <clears throat> in 1 John, he says, And this is how we know that we are in him, the end of verse 5. The one who says he abides in him should walk as he walked. The one, we are to... This is how we know that we're in him, that we walk as he walked. Now, notice in, in this verse of Scripture, he says, this is how we know that we are in him, meaning that, that we abide in him. The one who says he remains in him, abides in him, should walk as he walked. This is not just imitating or mimicking Jesus. What he's saying is, when you abide in Christ and Christ abides in you, he gives you a power in your life to live the Jesus life. It is the Spirit of God has come to dwell in you, and it's, ener it's energy, it's working grace. And this working grace is transforming my life so that I begin to walk and to live and act like Jesus in my life. And he's given us an example of his life to follow, but not just the example, he's given us a power within us, and it's in the abiding in Jesus Christ. Amen? Are you trusting in him, abiding in him? Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. That word abide is a significant word in the Gospel of John and in 1 John. And he says, if you remain in him, if you abide in him, if you dwell and live in him, one of the evidences of that is you start living like Jesus lived. Now, what is that? It means you follow him obediently. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus said to those disciples on the seashore to Peter and his brother Andrew, who were in fisherman business, along with James and John and their father Zebedee. And remember how Jesus says to those, those fishermen, they were just Galilean fishermen. They were not studied. They didn't go to Bible college. They didn't go to seminary. These were, they, they did not study under rabbis. These was, were working class men. Had a little business together. And Jesus said to these Galilean four, You follow me, boys, and I'll change your lives, and you'll become fishers of men. And he used those Galilean fishermen to turn the world upside down with the gospel. And they left everything with Zebedee and his servants. Boats, fish, business, and they followed him. 
And to follow him means I learn from him. It means I'm asking of him, that I'm listening to him, that I'm observing him, and that I'm being trained by him. Are you following Jesus? His invitation is still there today. Follow me. Follow me, and I'll change your life. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, because I am lowly and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 says, His commands are not burdensome. They're life-changing. Give give sacrificially. The other way that we are walking like Jesus is we give of our lives sacrificially. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, listen to the scriptures. Let's say it out loud together, would you? Those at home can say it too. Say it. Then he said to them all, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Anybody want to follow Jesus? This is how you follow him. You deny yourself. You take up your own cross daily. And you follow me. It means you don't live your life for yourself, your own comfort, your own benefits, and you care about other people, and you are willing to sacrifice and give of your life and enter into pain in your life to help those who hurt. And you follow after me. Following Jesus means you live like he lived. Jesus said the son of even, the son of man, did not come to be served. It's not about me being served. It's not about my comforts. It's not about me being satisfied. It's not about me, but the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. What Jesus is saying is, if you love your life, want to hold on to your life, you make life all about you, you lose your life. When you're willing to lose your life for my sake, you find your life. It's denial, it's giving, it's suffering, it's redeeming, it's following me. It's getting involved in the brokenness of others' lives and loving them. Bearing burdens with them, serving them. And caring for them. Very similar ideas found in the next point is you serve others humbly. And this is what Jesus did. So if we want to live like Jesus lived, he humbly served us. And so if we want to be like him, we humbly serve one another. In John 13, verse number 35, by this shall everyone know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Now, if you back that up in chapter number 13, in verse number 12, John, 12, John 13, verse 12, but when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, we talked a bit about this on Monday, Thursday, he reclined again and he said, do you know what I've done for you? This is when he washed the disciples' feet in the upper room just before his death. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're speaking rightly, since that's what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. 
For I've given you an example that you should do just as I've done for you. Wow. Truly, I tell you, a servant's not greater than his master, and a messenger's not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. Whose feet need washing in your relationships? And are you willing to humbly come alongside them, love them, and serve them? That's living like Jesus. You must trust God completely. Whenever you begin to walk and live like Jesus, you trust God to take care of you completely. You trust in Him. You, you put your faith in Him. And even though things go difficult in your life, and even though people turn against you, and even if they say all manner of evil against you falsely because of me, you can rejoice because God is in control. You're beginning to live this Jesus life in yourself and walk and look and behave more like his son. And that means you trust God completely. No matter what the circumstances of your life, I'm trusting him. I'm going to do what he called me to do, live this life he's called me to live, and I'm going to trust him to take care of me. And this is how Jesus lived. Now look with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 21. For you were called to this, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you a what? What's it? There's the word. And a what? Example that you should do what? Follow in his what? In his steps. He did not commit sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. But how, how did he respond to insults? When he was insulted, he what? Did not return insult in return. When he suffered... What did he do? He did not threaten, but instead he did what? Entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He, he said, God's got this. God's got this. Can you do that? Do you trust him? Yeah, but, yeah, but they're getting by with it. Yeah, but they did this. No, it's all about you when you start that. Listen, your job is not to take up the sword. Your job is to take up a towel. In the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is suffering so, he's alone. He has his disciples with him. He said, pray with me that you enter not in temptation. And, 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 and they kept falling asleep. The poor boys were exhausted. They just, their, their flesh was so weak. They, he says, can't you enter with me? There? Are you still sleeping? Enter. Join me in praying. An angel came and ministered to the Lord in the garden. He was suffering so. He was sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. He was under tremendous pressure. He said, Father, if it's, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And then he said, no, not my will. Yours be done. There was victory being won. There was spiritual warfare that was happening. Not because he was going to die, because he was going to bear the sin of the world. And in that moment, he's betrayed. One of his own disciples, Judas, brings with him a cohort of, 
of Roman, of, of not Roman, but of Jewish police and temple police and elders and those from the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish guard, and they come to arrest Jesus. And they've got their clubs and they've got their swords and they're drawn and ready for battle. And one of the disciples, we know it's Peter, grabs one of those swords and starts to do warfare, swings at one of the temple policemen and slice, guy ducks, misses, cuts off his ear. And Jesus said, stop! None of this! Stop it! Put your sword back. Because all who take up the sword will perish by the sword. I've come to lay down my life. Can you give yourself completely to love people, to give, to serve, and let God take care of evil that's done against you? That's not your job. That's his. Christ humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. But God highly exalted him and gave him a name that's above every name. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. In due time, he will lift you up. You can trust him. Number three. Love your brothers and your sisters. And this is what he's called us to do, to love our brothers and our sisters. In verse number seven, verse number seven, dear friends, I'm not writing to you a new command, but an old one that you have heard from the beginning. The old command is the word that you've heard. He said, I'm, I'm telling you, he said, I'm not going against the old command, because the old command was to love God and love your neighbor. Now listen to what he says here. Yet I'm writing a new command, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and true light is already shining. And the one who says he's in the light but hates, hates his brother or sister is in the what? Darkness unto now. And the one who loves his brother or sister remains, where? Abides in what? in the light, and there's no cause of stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother or sister is where? In darkness. And he walks how? And he doesn't know where he's going. He gropes in the darkness because his eyes, what? Blinded him. Truth of the matter is you can't hate men and love God. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 15, everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life resided in him. So the first thing we need to understand is you've got to refuse to hate. Hate equals murder. Say it with me. Hate equals murder. And murder equals equals death. You can't hate. You can't tell me that you love God and you hate somebody else. Let me tell you what hate does. Hate devalues that person. Hate disrespects that person. 
Hate says, I don't want you to live anymore. I hate you. You're dead to me. Hate projects on them the venom that's in your own heart. Hate refuses to forgive. And hate dishonors God who made them. Hate is against God. And hate is sin. Let me tell you what. It's an old and trite saying, but there's truth. Hate the sin. Love the sinner. We hate sin, but we love the sinner. You can't love God and hate. If you do that, you're lying. You're lying to yourself, and you're lying to God. It was all in the headlines of major news networks because it was sort of a shocking statement. A theology professor at a former Baptist institution, Mercer University, and they also have a seminary in Georgia. And this seminary professor, and her name is Shakira, Shaniqua Walker Barnes is her name. And she wrote a devotional piece in a book of devotional thoughts. And in it, it said, Dear God, please help me to hate white people. She says in her prayer, Lord, if you can't make me hate them, at least spare me from their perennial gaslighting, white mansplaining, and white woman tears. She said, God, help me to hate them, especially the nice ones who pretend they don't see color. She wrote for shock effect. She said, help me to hate them. Well, I don't care what shock effect you're trying to have. That goes against the very word of God. God, don't help me to hate. Help me to love. Amen? Amen. And when you do, you remain in the light. Jesus said, We are to remain in the light. When you're in the darkness, you grope in the darkness. When you're in the darkness, you're blinded by the darkness. When you're in the darkness, you don't have light. But we're to abide in the light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When you live in the darkness, when you live in hate, when you live in unforgiveness, let me tell you what you are. You become spiritually blind. You say, Pastor, what is the cure for blindness? Outside of Jericho, there was a man named Bartimaeus. He is Bartimaeus. He was the son of Timaeus. Jesus was passing by. He was coming into the outer edge of Jericho, major city, and as he's, a throng is following with him, and a beggar is outside the city gate, and he's crying out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. He's blind. 
Now the throng is passing by and others around him. He keeps shouting all the louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And finally they said, shut up. This is the teacher. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus said, bring him here. They probably said, okay, he's going to get it now. Messing up church service. Brings him in there. Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? He said, I want to see. I'm tired of walking in darkness. And Jesus heals him. And some of you sitting in this room or online today, you're in darkness. But there is one who can set you free and open your mind. And it's Jesus. He is the light of the world. It'll change your life. Amen. Amen. So some takeaway questions that we might have today. First of all, am I living like a Christ follower? Only you can answer that. Are you living like a Christ follower? Number two, is his character evident in me? Number three, is his life on display in my life? And how can his life shine more clearly in my life? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? The truth of the matter is, there's only one way, and this is it. You've got to come to the end of yourself. You've got to die to your selfishness, your passions, your willful rebellion. You've got to die to that. And you've got to let him rule in your life. You surrender your life to him, and he will change you. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. The way your life changes is you spend time with Jesus, you're obeying Jesus, you're learning of Jesus, and you're letting him rule in your life, and he transforms you. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh, Paul said in Galatians 5. So you is yielding your life to Jesus as the master of your life. Heavenly Father, I pray that today, that as we've been taught from your word, that, Father, your Holy Spirit, speaking to us, is leading us to repentance today. And faith and trust. Have your way in our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.